Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak to us now. We thank you for your promise that that the scriptures are written for our comfort and our hope. We pray that we would know your hope and your comfort tonight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why do bad things happen to good people? When you open your newspaper or turn on the TV, you're quickly confronted with bad news. And it makes you wonder, why do bad things happen to good people? Sometimes we can be very clinical, very philosophical, very detached from the question. It becomes a a theoretical plaything, something to think about, but it doesn't really affect us. To argue about back and forth. For some, the question of suffering can be a compelling reason to remain an unbeliever. As they point to suffering and say, surely God is either not powerful to stop it, or he's not good. But over these Lent midweek evenings, as we sit with Job, we'll come to see that there are no easy or quick answers. You see, Job isn't a casual observer able to recline on his armchair and consider the plight of others. Job is not an armchair theologian. Rather, he is, if you like, a wheelchair theologian. Job is wrestling with these questions and with his friends from on top of an ash heap, having been personally afflicted. And the first verses of the book of Job provide us with a fine introduction to the man, and it might be useful if you have the passage in front of you. I wonder what was it uh, that struck you about him as uh, we heard the verses uh, just a few moments ago. Was it his big family? He had seven sons and three daughters. Was it his thousands of livestock, his sheep and camels and oxen and donkeys? Was it his servants? Maybe it was simply the declaration in verse 3 that he was the greatest of all the people of the east. Yet what I want to suggest that at the most an important thing we're told about Job is found in verse 1. That man was blameless and upright. One who feared God and turned away from evil. Now that doesn't mean that Job never sinned. He's not blameless by being perfect. Rather he is blameless and upright because he feared God and turned away from evil. He is one who fears and therefore trusts God and he turns away from what is wrong. Those two words, blameless and upright, describe his standing before God, blameless, and his dealings with other people, upright. 
He's the sort of person that you would want to serve on a select vestry or on a church eldership. He's a model Christian. He's a a pillar of the community. And it's important to remember that as we read all that we read over the next few weeks. Because in just one day, his world is turned upside down. It's like a personal 9-11 a day he will never forget as the devastating blows continue to rain down on him. With the out of breath arrivals of four of his servants. One of the events would be tragic but together Job has his disaster day. First they Oxen and donkeys are taken by the Sabaeans. Then the fire of God consumes the sheep. Then the Chaldeans capture the camels. Then the word arrives of the simultaneous death of all ten of his children. What a haunting refrain echoes in his ear. And I alone have escaped to tell you. He's left with just these four servants and his wife. Total devastation. I wonder how you would react. What would you do when the news came? Would you do what Job does in verse 20? Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. His first response was not to curse God, but to worship God. His security was not in his possessions, but rather in his God. And that is brought out in his words in verse 21, naked. I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Notice that this isn't que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. He's not saying, well, whatever happens, we we can deal with it. That's luck or fate or chance no what Job expresses is a firm unwavering unwavering faith in the face of terrible events he recognises the Lord's sovereignty in giving and in taking and he will bless the Lord either way remember What Paul says in Philippians 4. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Plenty or hungry. Abundance or need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now as if all that wasn't bad enough. Another day comes soon after in chapter 2. On the second page. And Job's body is covered with loathsome sores. It's bad enough if you have one spot or blister or cut or something that annoys you. 
But can you imagine the pain? The misery? It's so bad that his only comfort is to scrape himself with a piece of broken pottery while he sits in the ashes. It's all too much for his wife to bear. Her solution is simple. Curse God and die. But look at how Job responds to her. You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? You might be wondering how Job could be going through such a terrible period of suffering. Why did all this bad stuff happen to him? In popular thinking, there's the idea of some kind of cosmic karma. What you give is what you get. So do good things and good things will happen to you. But if you do bad things, then you better watch out. And even in the church, we see this kind of thing, this kind of attitude. If you pay in, or if you attend every meeting, or if you're nice to people, then good things will happen to you. And if something bad happens, then then God mustn't like you. Or you must have done something really bad to deserve it. In a few weeks' time, we'll see this come up in the book as Job's comforters, as they're known, although that's a terrible name for them. Job's friends try to use this kind of theology against Job. So did Job do something bad? Was he a secret sinner which led to his sudden suffering? Is there a simple link between goodness and prosperity, between badness and bad health? Wouldn't it be so easy if there was? But it's not like that. We see Christians who go through immense suffering, who are cut down at a young age, while the wicked go from strength to strength. We see believers fleeing their homes, struggling to eke out a living on sparse crops while sinners waste more food than they can possibly eat. Behind the scenes, unknown by Job, there is another series of events happening. And we see this In both chapters. It's as if the TV camera cuts from the earthly scene. From what's happening with Job on the earth. And the camera cuts to the heavenly throne room. And then back again to earth. I wonder if you've ever been to uh, the theatre. And and have watched a play. and, And action happens at two different sides of the stage. And. And they don't know what's happening at either side. We, the audience, we can see the whole thing. But Job is unaware of what has happened in heaven. It's as if we 
have a behind the scenes all access pass. Which helps us to understand more than Job can know. And helps us to see at least a little better at how this could happen. And why we are sometimes faced with suffering. So chapter 1 and verse 6 presents us with the heavenly throne room. The sons of God, the angels are present. And Satan, Satan is there too. Now the name Satan literally means the accuser. He's like the director of public prosecutions or the the prosecuting lawyer. His job is to investigate if God's people are as they should be, accusing them of wrongdoing. And God brings the conversation round to Job and Satan reacts in fine form. He says, of course Job worships you. After all, look how he is profiting from believing in you. You see, if God is protecting him and and putting a hedge around him and blessing all that he does, then Job would be a fool not to follow God. But Satan reckons that if his wealth was gone, then Job would curse God. It's a challenging question, isn't it? Why do we worship God? Are we only in it for what we can get out of it? How would your motives stack up? And this is the the question that runs through the entire book. What sort of believer is Job? Is he genuine or is he a fake? God lays the challenge and allows Satan to take away all that Job has. But without touching Job himself. And so Satan goes off and arranges that day of devastation. Job doesn't know why it happened. And yet he passes the test. Satan said in verse 12, touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. But verse 22 affirms in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. So that's one nil to God. Then the second challenge follows swiftly. Skin for skin. All that a man has he will give for his own life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh. And he will curse you to your face. Yet even with those sores and even with his wife's provocation. In all this Job did not sin. With his lips. 2 nil To God. So even though Job doesn't know what's happening. In the heavenlies. What can we learn from it? Well there are three important things to notice here. As we come towards a close. The first. Is that Satan. Has real influence. That Satan does exist. That we do have an enemy. And that he is indeed the accuser of the brethren. But let's be clear. Secondly, God 
is absolutely sovereign. You see, it's not that Satan and God are uh, two equally powerful agents who are in constant battle, getting the better of each other as things move back and forward between them. No, God is sovereign. The Lord reigns. And Satan answers to him. It's the Lord who first mentions Job and brings him into view. It's the Lord who invites Satan to consider him. And it is the Lord who sets the limits of Satan's activity. Verse 12 in chapter 1. Behold, all that he has is in your hand only against him. Do not stretch out your hand. The German reformer Martin Luther called Satan God's Satan. He's like a dog on a leash. He can only go so far. And yet, God in his sovereignty gives a terrible permission. To allow Satan to do what he does. So Satan has real influence. God is absolutely sovereign. And then thirdly, Job really is blameless. We've already noticed this earlier, but it's important to mention it again. You see, the Lord affirms the verdict of verse 1 as he talks to Satan. He says, have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Job is blameless. He has no unforgiven sin to be punished. And yet these things happen to him. Sometimes in the Bible we do see people suffering directly for their sin. So for example the Israelites who grumbled in the desert being bitten by snakes in in Numbers. Or Ananias and Sapphira in Acts who dropped dead after lying to the apostles about the proceeds of a sale of property. But Job shows us that not all suffering is the result of our sin. Satan has influence. Job really is blameless and God is truly sovereign. Job doesn't know why this has happened. And yet he remains faithful to the Lord. He continues to trust in him. As we begin our study of the book of Job, let me challenge you to take some time to read through at the book of Job. You might find the text challenging and even surprising sometimes. But for us to journey with Job, we, we have to sit with him, we have to listen to his pain and also share in his faith.
Perhaps you're suffering right now. Job is a companion, a fellow sufferer who points us to faith in the Lord. You see, Job is described by God as my servant Job. But that is no guarantee of immunity from suffering. Isn't that what we see in the cross? That the one who is the servant of the Lord, his own dear son, losing everything, abandoned by his friends, suffering and dying. Yet through his suffering, we receive our healing. Through his dying, we receive life. Through his forsakenness, we receive hope and welcome and life eternal. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you and ask that you would help us to continue to think of Job. We pray that you would write those truths in our heart that Satan, our enemy, is real. That Job is blameless, that you are sovereign. Help us, Lord, to find in you the grace that we need. Help us, Lord, to trust in you, no matter what our circumstances. And we pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus, who died for us and was raised to new life. Even Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.